are Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, welcome in everybody to this very special Central Division crossover episode uh, previewing the 2022-2023 season. This is Dane Lewis of the Locked On Dallas Stars podcast. Joined now by Jack Bushman, host of the Locked On Chicago Blackhawks podcast. And Jack, how you doing, man? I know this offseason's been long, and but hockey's just around the corner. September's here. Training camp right around the corner. Preseason game's about to get started up here in the next few weeks. How are, uh, how are you handling it all? Yeah, I'm excited. Hockey season is finally starting to close, and I apologize if you can hear my dog barking up a storm in the background. People always go walking by, so apologies for the timing on that. But yeah, hockey season right around the corner, Dane. And uh, the Blackhawks actually, that they just announced they're going to be part of the 2022 Tom Curvers Showcase uh, in just a couple of weeks, and they actually are going to have a, a scrimmage-type game against the Minnesota Wild on a Friday night. And that's, I know when it's really going to set in, that's like, oh, wow, I'm going down to the city at seven o'clock. Hockey season is right around the corner, even though it's probably going to be a bit of a troubling year for the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, I'm still super stoked for it. And everything that also insinuates with hockey season, we got football season around the corner too. Uh, postseason baseball, this is a great time for sports after, you know, the summer's a little bit lackluster to say the least. So I'm all for it, Dane. I, I couldn't be more excited. How are, you, how are your thoughts about hockey season coming up? Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I, I think this summer in particular has just felt incredibly slow. Uh, baseball is, a, I, I personally enjoy baseball, but the Texas Rangers certainly not a team to write home about this season. So, you know, getting excited for the start of football season where the Dallas Cowboys can disappoint me yet again. Uh, but hockey season, I think there's a lot of reasons to be excited. Uh, new coaching staff, new system here in Dallas and uh, a few new faces to the franchise and some some guys returning as well uh, that I think can you know, make an impact on this team and hopefully propel them to another playoff appearance where anything can happen. Uh, I think the Stars had an, you know, an early exit last season to Calgary, but, you know, who knows how far they could have gone if they were able to, you know, be on the opposite end of that game seven overtime uh, where Johnny Gaudreau scores the game winner for them. Uh, that's, you know, just a what if that'll have to be tackled another day, but certainly want to pick your brain a little bit about this Chicago Blackhawks team. Obviously, a lot of turnover this offseason and uh, you know, like you said, maybe not the most exciting season ahead, but hopefully building for brighter days. Uh, and I know one of the, the biggest departures, not just for the Blackhawks, but in the entire scope of the NHL was Alex Dabrinkit, uh, now a member of the Ottawa Senators. Was that something that you were expecting to see happen? What were your overall thoughts on the Dabrinkit departure? Yeah, it was it was tough for sure. Um, I will say that it was becoming abundantly clear in the days leading up to the first day of the NHL draft. Uh, where he ultimately got dealt, that it, it was a when and not if situation. All signs were pointing towards Alex Dabrinkit being traded. And the one thing I will say about that is I knew it was coming, more than likely going to happen. But that also, it felt to me like the Blackhawks were in this situation where they didn't absolutely have to trade to bring it, even though all signs were pointing in that direction. But because things were kind of progressing, it made me feel like the Blackhawks were getting a really good offer. Or they were hearing really good offers from other teams, and it was just a situation that they really couldn't pass up, given that they are heading into this long rebuild ahead. 
in Alex DeBrinkett, even though he is a prime two-time 40 goal scorer at just 24 years of age, if we're thinking five, six years down the road, you know, he's still going to be pushing 30. And I know that's something that Blackhawks fans will disagree on, but that, that was, I think, an idea that was going through Kyle Davidson's mind. And when we really heard these trade rumors starting to ramp up, I felt confident that the Blackhawks were going to get a very solid return on DeBrinket. And that's just not what happened, Dane, a very underwhelming return, if I'm being honest. Now, I understand that DeBrinket not signing an extension with Ottawa was probably the reason for that, but I still think this was by far the worst move that Kyle Davidson has made since he's taken over as GM for the Blackhawks. We only get one first round pick for Alex DeBrinket. We don't take any prospects away from a pretty strong senator's prospect pool. We didn't get a single one. Theoretically, we got more back in return for Brandon Hagel. Now, the reason the Blackhawks netted two first for Hagel is because his contract situation is really good. He signed on a very cheap deal for the next two to three years. Dabrinkit wasn't in that same situation, but it still doesn't sit right with Blackhawks fans that we only got one first round pick in that deal. And it was the seventh overall selection. Now I am really high on the player they took with that pick, Kevin Korchinski. I think he has all the tools to be a really strong offensive defenseman in this league. The defense is something he's going to have to work at in years moving forward, but to, to not even get a top five pick and not the strongest of NHL drafts, and that's the lone first round pick you got for a two-time 40 goal scorer. That's why everyone across the board, fans everywhere of whatever team said this was an absolute steal by the Ottawa Senators. And I don't really have any way to dispute that. So yeah, it, it was, even though we kind of knew that DeBrinka was probably out the door, I no one expected the return to be that low, Dane. So yeah, that was kind of uh, what added insult to injury in trading away one of the fan favorites here in Chicago. Yeah, certainly a, a big blow to you know that Chicago fan base. Uh, obviously, like we've said, you know, and very much in a rebuilding stage. But to bring it, certainly a bright spot. Um, a guy that you know was an All Star this past year. However much stake that holds in NHL fans' hearts, but now he's gone on to an Ottawa team that you know looks to be you know pushing for a playoff spot in that Atlantic Division. There was another departure as well, maybe one that's a little more under the radar, but one I'm certainly curious your thoughts on, just because this guy has shown flashes but never really could you know get his feet set in Chicago, and that's Kirby Doc, now a, a member of the Montreal Canadiens. What were your thoughts on his departure? Were you sad to see him go, or do you think that he just you know was maybe being held back by the Blackhawks and now? Uh, could take off with the Habs. What are your thoughts on Kirby Doc? I was for sure saddened to see Kirby Doc go. Yet another first round pick that only had a short time here in Chicago. And it was difficult for him. And to be fair, I really don't think the previous regime did him any favors by rushing him into the NHL so fast. He didn't get any time down in Rockford. It was just a, a really quick transition for him and not one that he was probably ready for at that point. And as someone who has been a, a Kirby Doc backer, there are plenty of people here in Chicago that were already calling Kirby Doc a bust at 20 years of age and, and were happy about this trade. I, I was saddened to see him go. And I, I do believe that Kirby Doc, while he may never live up to the third overall pick expectations, He's a, a big kid who has some skating ability. He's responsible defensively, already took on really 
big tasks defensively as a 20 and 21 year old. Like that side of his game, I think is probably going to be the strength when he gets older, like a second to third line, two way center who, you know, maybe a 40, 50, I'm not going to rule out 60 points. That's probably the ceiling on him though. I, I really feel like Kirby Doc can be an impact player. And once he's 26 and 27 years old, all this experience that he's had at an early age, I think is really going to pay dividends. But with that being said, I was thrilled with the return that the Blackhawks got. The 13th overall pick was kind of eh, but who they took with that 13th overall selection, Frank Nazar, my guy Frank the Tank, as I've already dubbed him. I'm stoked about this kid. I, I really am. The high pace that he plays at, a lot of people critique his size, but he's a gamer and he doesn't let that hinder any part of his game, the energy and the intensity that he brings. He's right there on each and every play, hustles, and has a really good offensive skill set to go along with it. So ultimately, I think the Blackhawks got the higher ceiling player in Frank Nazar, and I don't really have a complaint about that, especially with if you go and look at the Blackhawks prospect pool, in particular at the forward position, it has been really thin for the last five to six years, and they really hadn't developed any talent. And in their current prospect pool prior to the draft, they had very little speed, and they know they they knew they needed to address that more than anything. In today's NHL, it's it's just so fast. I mean, look at the Colorado Avalanche, the pace that they were playing at this year. It was remarkable, and the Blackhawks really didn't have any speed to bank on. And with Frank Nazar, they know they're getting high-end speed, and that was a common theme of a lot of their draft picks in this year's draft. So I, I like to see them address that. They're certainly building up the prospect pool for future years. And as tough as it was for me, I know it wasn't as tough for other folks here in Chicago to say goodbye to Kirby Doc. It was tough for me. I still have his jersey, and it's actually the first Blackhawks sweater I've ever had where a player's gotten traded. I know it's probably going to end soon as I have both Hayes and Kane, but that was the first one where it's like, wow, what do I do with this sweater now? But I do think the Blackhawks at the end of the day got a, a really good return in that trade in particular. And uh, now it's just kind of hoping that Frank Nazar can be the player that we all are uh, wanting him to be in three or four years down the road. You talk about Kane and Taves. That was kind of the last question I wanted to ask you before we flip the script here a little bit. Uh, it's really no secret that especially Kane, he seems to have been, you know, a, a pretty hot topic this offseason for trade talks and things of that nature. Do you think that he and Taves get traded before the season? Do you think they get traded around the deadline? What are your kind of your predictions as far as the future for Patrick Kane, and Jonathan Taves with the Blackhawks? How much longer do you think that they'll be in Chicago? And if they do get traded, where do you think they could potentially go? Yeah, it's actually funny you bring that up because just about an hour ago, uh, Ben Pope, who is a beat writer for the Chicago Sun-Times here, uh, spoke with Kyle Davidson and Davidson mentioned that neither Jonathan Taves nor Patrick Kane have approached them to waive their no movement clause as of this point. And that's kind of the storyline that's been going on for the past month. It just seems more likely that they're going to get traded at the deadline if they are going to get moved. It, it seems like they at least want to give this training camp a feel. The new coaching staff, I also, uh, we haven't touched on Luke Richardson yet, but a new head coach in there and someone who's really respected around the league. And he said all the right things, not only with understanding the direction of this franchise, but he, he knows that 
while the front office may be tanking, they're going in there to win every game. They're not throwing anything away. And I think that type of mindset, I know Richardson's already had conversations with Kane and Taves. I think that's probably convinced them to at least stick it out at this point. But given where the Blackhawks are at as a franchise and with both of these two having their current deals expire at the end of the season, it is a little tough to see them, to see the Blackhawks bringing them back. And I'll start with Jonathan Taves. It, it's been a little odd how Taves really just hasn't committed himself to this franchise. He hasn't like outspokenly said, I, I want to leave or anything, but it is a little weird when your longtime captain, three-time Stanley Cup champion, isn't directly committing himself to the franchise. And I don't want to throw any shade towards Jonathan Taves because, listen, after all he's done for this city and this franchise, he has the right to do whatever he wants to do. But it seems like, based on his words, he's probably – the more likely of the two, I think, to waive his no movement clause first, or if, you know, a hypothetical, if only one of them is going to get traded, who do you think it would be? I do think it's Jonathan Taves. Um, For Patrick Kane, the question is, how much does he value the franchise records and remaining here in the city of Chicago? And I guess you can throw the same thing to Jonathan Taves too, but I've heard people say that, and I It could be true for all I know, like Patrick Kane could value staying with one franchise for his entire career more than I imagine, but these guys are winners, man. They, they came into these, this league as winners. That's all they really knew until about four or five years ago. And I'm sure it hasn't been easy for them. I'm sure it's not easy for them knowing that they probably got four or five more years of this. So at the end of the day, they're both competitors and I, I wouldn't blame them if they want to go elsewhere and try to win a Stanley cup. And also it could help the Blackhawks by doing so considering the assets that they can get in return for moving these two pieces. So I do think it's more likely that they are both going to get traded than not as for what team or what teams they could land on. It's going to be a little, little difficult. I know every team out there would love to add a talent like Patrick Kane to their roster, but Given the financial situation right now in this post-COVID world, and no one seemingly has a lot of money who's competing for a Stanley Cup, right? It, it's really going to limit the amount of teams that actually are in play here. And then at the same time, Kane has to waive his no-movement clause to go to this team. So does Jonathan Taves. So I'm sure there really aren't as many teams that are realistic options for these two as you know, fan bases across the NHL would like to admit, but um, yeah, I don't know what teams it's going to be, but I'm certain that it's only going to be a select few who are actually in contention when the time comes, assumingly around the trade deadline, Dane. Yeah, it's certainly a storyline worth following throughout the rest of this offseason and certainly into the season as well, depending on you know how the Blackhawks come out. And like you said, what training camp looks like and uh, so on and so forth, what this prospect pool, what the young guys look like, uh, probably going to factor heavily in to that decision. But now we will we'll take a moment and flip the script a little bit. Now, if you have any Dallas Stars related questions, that's what I'm here to talk about to inform the the good people that listen to Locked On Blackhawks to give a little insight about a, a division. Absolutely. Yeah. I have several questions about this Dallas Stars team. I'm torn. I don't know if they're going to be at the top, if they're going to be in the five or six spot. I I really don't know. But this division, Dana, it does feel like it's up for grabs. And we'll touch on that a little bit later. But uh, just first things first, I wanted to ask about just the the offseason moves that the Dallas Stars have made or that they've been a part of. I would say 
The biggest departure would be John Klagenberg going to Anaheim. That That's a, a big leave for the defense, although I, I do think they're in a good spot still. Uh, they added Colin Miller. Let's, let's talk about the defense first because I've really thought that's been a strength for the Dallas Stars for the last few years. You'd know better than I would. Maybe you can touch on that a little bit. But I, I've always looked at the names that they have back there. It's just like if they can get to the playoffs, they have a veteran and reliable decor that they can lean on. How how big is the departure of John Klingberg? And also, does the addition of Colin Miller help keep this defensive core intact where they can compete this upcoming season? The the departure of Klingberg was a pretty big one, and I think it was expected as he's been in trade talks and, you know, departure talks really since November of last season. I remember talking with, you know, people at with the connected to the Hurricanes and some other Eastern Conference teams even back around Thanksgiving about the idea of John Klingberg potentially going uh, to their team, but he sticks it out with the stars. I think a part of that was Miro Haskinen getting sick around uh, a week or two before the trade deadline hit. Um, And so I think they needed to hold on to John Klingberg just because of that defense, but also offensively as well. He's, you know, maybe the second best defenseman in franchise history behind Sergei Zuboff and just the way that he was able to produce offensively, especially in the postseason. Uh, was just massive for the Stars franchise. And, you know, we the Stars drafted him. He was developed by the Stars and became a, a, a fan favorite, um, especially on the defensive front. But now he's gone on to Anaheim. So this is the the Miro Haskinen show in Dallas for defensemen. And uh, Colin Miller, I think, will be definitely a nice add. Um, I don't think that, that, you know, it changes the, you know, the look of this team as far as maybe where they could end up on the standings. But it's always nice to have veteran depth defensively. I mean, you have a guy like Ryan Suter who, in my opinion, is probably a little bit overpaid by the Stars, but still a nice veteran presence to have on the team. Gani Hockenpah proved himself to be a, a guy that can be in the rotation with his size. And then Thomas Harley, um, a guy that we've talked a lot about this offseason here um, with you know plenty of, of other guests on Locked on Stars. The 2019 first, over, or first round pick for the Stars, rather, not first overall. Uh, a guy that has shown a lot of promise and a lot of potential um, within this organization, getting some limited NHL minutes under Rick Bonus, but now with Pete DeBoer as the new head coach. Um, I think a lot of people expect him to have a a good training camp and expect him to be a consistent player uh, somewhere in that six-man defensive core rotation. So I think defense will certainly still be a big part of the Dallas Stars' identity. It's just going to look a little bit different uh, with some new leadership uh, with Miro Haskin and finally being the number one guy uh, and Thomas Harley, Yanni Hockenpah, Ryan Suter, Essel Lindell, all trying to to find where they fit in as well um, in this kind of new-look Dallas Stars system. For sure. And and then moving on to the forward position too, a, a really big, I would say, impact made last year by not the usual guys that were leading the charge for the Dallas Stars, right? You see the emergence of Jason Robertson, who he still needs to, that, that whole deal still needs to be figured out, right? We're still waiting on that? Correct. Correct. Okay. But he, you know, he's going to be back. They're not going to let him go. That's just ridiculous. But he has a great year. Rupe Hintz has been someone who's really jumped out the last few years as well. This is a, it's a good forward group. When I look at it on paper, um, I wanted to get your thoughts though on Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan, because it feels like as these new wave of players have kind of become the forefront of the Dallas stars, you know, the top line last year with Joe Pavelski hints and, Robertson did a lot of the heavy lifting, it felt like. And personally, as someone who was ever uh, gambling props on the stars, those were literally the only three guys I would take stuff on because it felt like they always did all the damage. Do you feel like Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan are capable of doing bigger things this year? I know they're both on the wrong side of 30 at this point at 
Sagan? Yeah, Sagan's 30 now too, which is kind of crazy to think about. Are are you feeling like they're capable of having a bigger year than they did last year? Because I felt like, at least from an outsider's perspective, it felt like the offense was really relied on that top line from time to time. And those guys weren't doing their part. And that, that to me felt like it cost the Dallas stars a little bit. Can you kind of reflect on that? And if I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. No, you're, you're definitely onto something there. And you, you know, plenty of people here in Dallas are very critical of Sagan and Ben. And I think that just comes with part of being a leader of the team. Uh, Jamie Ben, been the captain for several years now. And Tyler Sagan has worn the A for alternate captain on his Jersey for several seasons as well. And, uh, you know, there was a time, uh, you know, back when the Blackhawks were winning their championships that Ben and Sagan were the the premier players in Dallas and uh, putting up, you know, 80, 90, close to 100 points every season. Uh, but now, you know, like you said, they're both on the other side of 30 now. I think Sagan just recently turned 30. But, you know, even back in that Stanley Cup run against the Tampa Bay Lightning, he was playing with pretty much just his upper body. His lower body had just been absolutely destroyed uh, in in the postseason back in 2020. And so he was you know, coming off surgery and coming off rehab. And so I just don't know how many games he was playing last season at 100%. So hopefully this season, he's a lot healthier um, and a lot more like up to game shape, uh, not feeling as much pain. Obviously, hockey is a very physically demanding sport, so we can't expect it to last like that all the time. But hopefully we'll see a little bit more of a refreshed Tyler Sagan this season. And kind of the same goes for Jamie Benn. Uh, he's a very physical player who, you know, I is not afraid to to throw his body around despite being a forward who can score pretty effectively as well. And I think he's just maybe started to take on a little bit of a different role. And really the issue with with a lot of fans here in Dallas is just how much they're getting paid. Uh, they're both getting paid over $9 million a season. I think we still have Sagan for five more years. Uh, yeah, Sagan until 26, 27, and Ben until 24, 25. So a lot, both those guys taking up a quarter of the cap space on this team, yet both of them, you know, just being mid-level scoring producers. Uh, it's just odd to see because, like you said, they've kind of just been the big names associated with this team. But I do think that both of them are certainly capable of having bounce-back seasons, especially now with Pete DeBoer as head coach, like we've talked about uh, throughout the show. I think he has a tendency to get the most out of his veterans. We've seen that in Vegas. We saw it especially in San Jose. Uh, Brent Burns, Thornton, Pavelski, who's now in Dallas as well. A lot of those guys played really well under Pete DeBoer despite being you know, in their early to mid 30s. So I'm really excited to see where they get placed in this lineup, how the coaching staff draws up the starting lineup on opening night and how those guys are able to produce with this new staff and with this new system. For sure. And a big signing today that the Dallas Stars made as well with, um, I got two more questions for you. This one, the goaltender position, especially with Jake Ottinger and what I got to see from him in the first round series against Calgary. I mean, that game seven was absolutely incredible and you just ink him to a deal today I also feel like Scott Wedgwood is a very quality backup to have and once you got him I, I felt like he played pretty well for Dallas last year too how do you feel having these two now signed on for multiple years not not just one year but both of these guys signed uh multi-year extensions do you feel like the Dallas Stars goaltender position is in a really good spot and also what are your thoughts on the ceiling of Jake Ottinger because he flashed it a little bit in the Stanley Cup playoffs last year. I don't know if, you know, the the pressure is something that you're worried about after that short of a stint and people talking him up, but what what do you think the ceiling is for for Jake Ottinger? Yeah, I, I for one to to start with the first part of that question, I'm very relieved now to know that Jake Ottinger is back and that Wedgwood also a member of this team 
uh, like you said, for the next couple of seasons as well. Very, very good backup. Uh, his first game in Dallas on the road in Carolina, he had, I think, 44 saves that game and uh, ended up helping them get the win in overtime. So a guy that you know can certainly go toe-to-toe with any team in the league. But Ottinger, uh, far and away, set to be the number one goalie in Dallas this season, which I'm very excited to see how he does to follow up that, that Stanley Cup playoff performance. That game seven was such a thrill to watch just in general, but made better by the, the goalie performance from Markstrom and Ottinger as well. Um, I think that there is certainly a ton of pressure built up uh, you know, that, that maybe could get to him this season. But I personally am just optimistic to see him perform this season because anything we've seen from Jake Gottinger in his short career up to this point uh, has shown us that he's an incredibly hard worker um, and he's you know, willing to admit whenever he has a bad night and when he makes mistakes. Uh, but he's also willing to put in the work uh, to get better, to improve. And he has a great relationship uh, with Jeff Reese, the goalie coach in Dallas. Um, and I know the team also just has a ton of trust in him night in and night out, which I think is important for any goaltender because uh, I think half the game with being an NHL goalie is confidence. Uh, you have the confidence and then the rest you know, comes after that. Uh, Jake Ottinger certainly has the ability and the capability to be a good goalie night in and night out. As far as ceiling, it, it maybe just feels like a stretch or an overreach, but I really do think in the next three, four seasons, uh, if he's able to stay healthy, which he's also done a good job of knock on wood up to this point in his career, I think we can legitimately, you know, have him in the conversation of maybe a, a top five or maybe even top three goalie in this league. Uh, certainly still has quite a ways to go. Um, still a lot of his career ahead of them. But if his early career has been any indication, there's a lot of reason uh, for Stars fans to be excited to have Ottinger in Dallas for the next three seasons. For those listening that do not know, probably more so on my end, Jake Ottinger is still only 23 years old. So there is an insanely bright future for this kid. And yeah, he showcased a little of it in that first round series against the Calgary Flames, where literally I don't know who was going to win because both goaltenders were just absolutely standing on their head. It was exactly how a game seven should be. Um, but what I wanted to move on next to Dane is something that we already referenced a little bit earlier on in the episode, but, uh, the lockdown podcast network recently released their central division NHL projected standings for this upcoming season. And I recently had a crossover episode with Seth Topal from lockdown wild, where we kind of talked about this and outside of the Colorado avalanche, I, I do believe this division is very up for grabs and there's a lot of spots where I don't know who's going to land in them. And I don't think any team is the epitome more of that in this division than the Dallas stars, maybe the Winnipeg jets too, because I have absolutely no idea what they're going to be doing, but I'm just really torn on whether or not this is going to be a good stars team, or if they're going to finish more towards the bottom of the pack. Like I can make a case for, for both sides, honestly. So I really wanted to get your thoughts on just all the off season moves that they've made and whether or not you think the stars have the ability to get back in the Stanley cup playoffs next year. Yeah, it's a great question. And I 100% agree. I think, you know, the, the two to five spots in the, the, you know, two seed, three seed, four seed, five seed spot in this division are wide open. I think Colorado, if they stay healthy, very clearly going to take that number one spot. I think Chicago, Arizona kind of round out that bottom two. Winnipeg, I, I also don't really know what to think on them. I think similar to how you think about the stars, I can make a case for and against the Jets. Uh, but Nashville, Minnesota, St. Louis, Dallas, uh, I, I think, yeah, it's literally wide open and it's, you know, it's one of those things that I go back and forth on and I'm obviously biased towards the stars, 
but I legitimately think that they have a case to maybe crack a top three spot. And if they do get top three in the division, I think it would be third. But I think more realistically, they end up getting a wild card spot similar to this last season. Uh, and I think Nashville also falls into that as well. I know they were fourth on the on the rankings when pulled by all of the, the lockdown NHL hosts, which, you know, at Nashville being Dallas's biggest rival, I disagreed with a little bit. But, you know, Dallas's first two games of the season are against the Predators. So as if hockey season being close wasn't exciting enough, I get to to see how those games play out and see those two teams go at one another. So it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out. I, I personally, as of right now, think the Stars are going to make the playoffs. I think Peter DeBoer teams tend to overachieve in their first season. I, I don't know if you know this or if a lot of you know Chicago Blackhawks fans in general know this, but Pete DeBoer with, uh, let's see, the San Jose Sharks, the Devils, the Devils first, then the Sharks, and then the Golden Knights did really well in his first season, made the Stanley Cup Finals, in his first season with the Devils and Sharks, he lost both times, but still made it, and then made it to the Western Conference Finals with the Vegas Golden Knights in his first season there, where they lost to the Stars in 2020. So, not saying that that makes the Stars a lock for the Conference Finals or anything like that, but his <laughs> teams do tend to overachieve in year one, and just in general, his teams historically, uh, with the right talent, which I think the Stars have some really good talent in place, they have a chance to make the postseason. With the Central Division being as wide open as it is, I think that they have a really good shot to uh, to find you know a spot somewhere uh, in those eight playoff teams because the Pacific Division they have some good teams but I can't really see more than three teams making it out of that division either. No, I'm in the same boat there. That is a very interesting tidbit that I, I was not aware of whatsoever about Peter DeBoer. Um, and to be 100% transparent here, I did when I was going through my rankings. I had the Stars coming in third. I had. Minnesota, or the Minnesota Wild. I had the Colorado Avalanche first. I had the St. Louis Blues second. I had the Dallas Stars coming in third because I think at the end of the day, you know what you're getting out of their defense and their goaltending. Now, maybe I'm being a little bit too high on a 23-year-old Jake Ottinger, but I feel like having that type of defense, even though they lost John Klingberg, I still feel like they have a lot of good pieces in place that have been there for a while too. And uh, some some other guys that you mentioned, like Thomas Harley and Hockenpah, I, I feel like it's a good structured defense for the Stars, and I know what I'm getting out of that group than what I I think, at least, compared to some of the others in uh, the Central Division. So, yeah, I had the Stars coming in third, but who knows, man. It's going to be a, a very fun regular season for the Central Division, and I definitely agree that it's, it's going to have four – teams coming out of it at least because I, I think looking at the Western Conference it, it's pretty clear that this is this is the meat of the Western Conference and um, it should make for a fun season especially for your team my, my team's probably not going to be doing a whole lot of that competing thing um, but for for uh, the Dallas Stars and their fans I'm sure it's going to be a very fun year from start to finish yeah, I, I certainly hope so. And kind of maybe one more question for you as far as, you know, the Central Division before we go, just giving a little bit of a future outlook, um, you know, really just for the the Stars fans. I know maybe uh, Blackhawks fans might be a little more familiar with your thoughts on this if you've touched on it, but when can you realistically see the Chicago Blackhawks being in that playoff conversation yet again? Uh, clearly not really set to happen this year, but like you said, they have some nice prospect pieces now being added and maybe this season they make some trades at the deadline that give them some draft capital or they get some young exciting prospects when can you realistically see uh, the Blackhawks back in playoff contention yeah that's a very good question Dan I'm glad you asked it um it's going to be a little bit that's for sure the one thing I will say that gives me a strong belief that it's going to be you know 
there there is this three to five year kind of projection that's kind of been put out there to the Chicago fans. And a lot of people feel like it could be longer. It could be seven, eight years. And to that, I would say, look at what the Blackhawks, not even the Blackhawks, look at what Kyle Davidson did in just his first couple months as general manager. Aside from the Alex Dabrinka trade, I really have no complaints whatsoever because he's been very open about what the Blackhawks were going to do. They need to build back better through the draft. They need to do a much better job at developing ingrown talent. They've just been trading for guys left and right. And that's why they don't have a good prospect pool because in order to go get other talent, they'd have to give up something in return because they weren't properly developing guys in their minor league system. They know they got to hone on that. They got to get as many future assets as possible. And in just his first NHL draft as general manager, Kyle Davidson, we went from having no first round picks to having three by the end of the day. And we ended up with 11 selections overall in those eight rounds. And the Blackhawks already have two first round picks in next year's 2023 NHL draft, which is rumored to be one of the deepest in several years, even decades potentially. And the Blackhawks already own two first round picks in that draft. And that's without trading Patrick Kane. That's without trading Jonathan Taves. And there are other assets that they're going to be trying to move out to get as many, as much draft capital as possible. And I don't think it's unreasonable at all, Dane, to think the Blackhawks could have three or four first round picks in the 2023 NHL draft. They have two first round picks already in the 2024 NHL draft. It's clear they know what they need to do, and that's build back up through the draft and properly develop these guys coming through the system. Now, with that being said, likely means it's still going to be a process, but I I think it in four or five years, I know that's for Blackhawks fans. They're going to be like, oh my God, that's 2030. What are we doing here? I understand. It's a daunting task and it doesn't sound great, but we're going to have, I'm really hopeful. We're going to have so many first round picks and hopefully some high first round picks as well. I mean, that's the name of the game right now. If they could snag something in the top three next year, it would be lovely. Kind of get that hopeful superstar piece that you need to have to be a true contender in this league. That you know, that outlook is what's giving me hope right now. And knowing what Kyle Davidson was able to do in this year's draft, I'm sure he's going to be just as aggressive in both 2023 and 2024. So they know what they have to do here, at least. And and there is a plan set in place. And so far through his first offseason, again, other than the Alex Dabrinkit trade, I think he's done a pretty good job. So um, it, it really is Kyle Davidson's tenure here in Chicago. It's very evident now. And Hopefully he can just continue along this path that he's been on for the most part here in his first six, seven months as general manager. That That's really the only way the Blackhawks can go about this right now. You got to be thinking about the future and hope you can hit on some draft picks. So uh, that's what I'm looking forward to, Dane. And yeah, it's going to be a while for sure. But if they can hit on these picks, I think four to five years. And if he does it right, I'll tell you what people aren't going to be complaining about how long it took if the Blackhawks are competing for a Stanley Cup in four or five years. People aren't going to be complaining about that again. So hopefully all goes well, but yeah, it, it is still going to be a little bit regardless. Absolutely. Certainly no fun to have to go through a rebuild, but like you said, you know, if it's done right and it's done properly, uh, fans tend to to forget the years of sorrow and suffering and, you know, tend to, to bask in the moment of, you know, what winning a Stanley Cup feels like. And, you know, the pieces seem to be in place as far as current draft picks and, the opportunity to maybe acquire some more assets in the future. So we'll, we'll see what becomes of the Blackhawks and we'll see what becomes of the stars this season as well. But Jack, 
uh, this was super fun. Uh, always a good time to, to talk hockey with other Locked On NHL hosts. And maybe we'll, uh, we'll get to cross over again sometime this season when our teams meet up. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to. I don't know the schedule off the top of my head, so I don't know when the Blackhawks and Stars first meeting is, but I'd love to get a crossover together with you and kind of break down where our teams are at at that point and all that good stuff. I'm always, always down for that. Yeah, absolutely. We'll make it happen. For sure, buddy. Well, thank you again for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course.